Hi there, Neil here. Obviously, you love to travel. That's why you're listening to this podcast. Circa, our app available right now from the App Store on iOS, is filled with podcasts and guides for travelers. But more than that, it has a feature that we're calling the Circa Concierge, where you can have any question about any place you're traveling answered by real people on the ground. We're giving you a friend to ask anywhere in the world. And hey, if you've got questions about Barcelona, you might even get me. Because I love to help people discover my city. And if you're the same way for the city where you live, then we want you to become part of the Circa Concierge too. Right now, we're searching for concierges in Barcelona, Rome, London, Paris, Madrid, Venice, and New York City. Don't see your city listed? That's okay. We'll be rolling out new cities throughout the year, and yours might just be next. If you love where you live and love to help travelers, sign up now to be a Circa Concierge. Help out our users and earn tips for the knowledge you have about your own city or country. Head over to circatravel.com forward slash concierge and sign up today. Welcome to Circa. Love the world you live in, and we'll help you explore it. Do you know anything about Lebanon, Neil? I am in the, a position that I love being in when doing this show. Yeah. I have no idea where we're going. Absolutely, which is and what so, this show is built on. Yeah. Today, you know? I had to explain where Lebanon was. <laughs> it's like, we're going to do an episode on Lebanon. And they were like, oh, you mean... And then I was like, oh, you're thinking of Libya. Yeah, yeah I, get that. <laughs> I get that pretty often. Like, hey, Gaddafi wasn't so bad. It's exactly. Like, hey, man. Like, <laughs> There are things we think we know about places, but history, prejudice, stereotypes, and the viral nature of 24-hour news and social media has made common knowledge about faraway places more twisted than ever. Today on Misinformation, we try to clear up some of the outright lies, mistakes, myths, and misnomers of an entire nation by doing what we do best, by having a chat with someone who actually knows what they're talking about. Today we're going to Lebanon, not Libya. That's something else. Bordered by Israel and Syria on the east coast of the Mediterranean Sea, Lebanon is something of an unknown quantity in the eyes of the world. It's complex, it's difficult, it's filled with pressure, contradiction, war, the darkest of humor, and an inescapable dichotomy. Its position in the Middle East has never given it much stability in recent history. The lives of the people who live there, even the young adults, are tarnished with conflict, but also an undeniable resilience and perspective. The Lebanese are impassioned, intelligent, and intense. And we're lucky enough to call the brilliant Hassan Shaban a friend. Hassan is the creative director of Collapse, K-O-L-A-P-S, a branding and UX design agency. Hassan is always funny, surprising. He's one of a kind. We sat down with him here in Barcelona to get deep into the culture, the conflict, the history, the food, and the customs of one of the strangest and most complex countries in the world. Even when it comes to something simple, like his name. Hassan is kind of like the easy way of saying it for Westerners like yourselves. Oh, let's go deep. It's a ha sound. It's not a ha, you know, it's, it's a ha, ha you know. Okay. So you either have to be Hebrew or, you know, like okay. really versed in so Middle it's Eastern. way back in the It's throat. almost like when you touch something hot, you know, it's like <laughs> Fitting. You know, Hassan. <laughs> Hassan. <laughs> which, which funnily enough means uh, good, uh, not great. Good, okay. You know, for example, when, when <laughs> I love not the great. distinction. You know, no. yeah. Not great. When you're watching a movie and someone's uh, an English movie and it has Arabic subtitles and someone says, okay, they write my name. <laughs> what's, what's, better your, than nothing. what's your last name? Shaban. It's one of the months of the Islamic uh, calendar. So it's the month before Ramadan. Okay. Ramadan is the month where everyone fasts, you know. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then there's a common saying, you know, you never mix Shaban and Ramadan. 
You know, it's like if if you're telling me too many confusing things, like, hey, man, you're mixing Shaban and Ramadan, you know? Um, so Hassan, Shaban, or OK November, as we sometimes call him, decided to just completely throw out the rule book. We often ask our guests to bring in a list of the things they believe we will ask them about, but he knew that this episode just wasn't going to go that way. What are the things you typically get, or what do you think these two idiots are going to ask you about? Culture, history, people's mannerisms, you know. But but I think we should put these aside. And because I'm, if you don't know nothing, you know, I'm pretty sure you're going to be uh, mind blown, you know, because it's... Um, don't let the size fool you, you know, like even though it's a small country, but the level of complexity within this small place, you know, is mind boggling. You know, when you play a game, mm-hmm. you're starting a game and then you get this difficulty levels, you know, you have simple, normal, difficult. Mm. And in some games you have like God mode. Insane. You know? like, <laughs> that's it. You know, like being born in Lebanon is you having clicked on the God, God mode. It's not even difficult. It's just the game will do things that are not in the game, you know, like, uh, and you have to be prepared, you know, and this is what uh, being Lebanese is. You're prepared for anything at any time. This is one of the best <laughs> explanations of a country I've ever heard. <laughs> the God mode analogy becomes fully understandable when you realize that Hassan was born in the middle of the Lebanese Civil War in 1985. So we have to start out with a quick history lesson, but we feel it's really, really necessary. Tensions among the Christian and Muslim communities had sparked into a war with added pressure from the PLO. That's the Palestine Liberation Organization, who were in a constant conflict with the state of Israel. They had moved their base to Lebanon. So from 1975 to 1990, the Lebanese civil war raged. The country's population was and is a 60-40 split of Muslims and Christians. The Muslims supported the PLO, the Christians opposed. A short time later, Lebanon became effectively partitioned, with the Christians in power in the north and the Muslims in the south. Fearing a devastating war, both Israel and Syria intervened on the side of the Christians. In 1982, Israel invaded southern Lebanon to destroy the PLO, whose forces were eventually driven out of Beirut, and by 85, Israel had more or less withdrawn. But that war lasted 15 years, and it killed 200,000 people and left the country in ruins. But let's get back to Hassan. When I was born in 85, uh, there was a civil war in Lebanon, which mm-hmm. ran until 1990. Yeah. In 90, civil war stopped, then we moved back to Beirut and we started the normal life. But before, I was living in this um, kind of nice town called Balbek. It's a little town, yeah, I would say like something between 50, 100,000 people in terms of uh, residents. But it's a very interesting town because um, it has one of the largest Roman ruins remaining, you know, even I would say larger than the Acropolis, but it just happens to be unknown, yeah? It causes so so much contradictions, you know, for example... It's mainly Muslim in this country, so it's kind of conservative. But yeah. then, you know, this is the Baku's temple where people had orgies, you know, like, you know? <laughs> The well-known orgies. Right? Next to it is like a mosque, you know, saying, Allah Akbar. And, you know, it's like, hey, you know, you know what was going on here, you know, just not a long time ago. Right next to the mosque is the, like, vomitorium. <laughs> <laughs> and where is Balwek, more or less? It's internal. Into okay. the, the country is basically very small. It's a coast two mountain ranges and in between the two mountain ranges there's a valley you know and that's it you know it's like a boutique country you know (laughs) 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 this boutique country as Hassan puts it is only about 4,000 square miles and is home to around 5 million people Beirut was founded by the Phoenicians more than 5,000 years ago making it one of the oldest cities in the world but in 1990, the end of the Civil War, it was in tatters. And that is when Hassan and his family moved back to the city. 
no roads you know um, most buildings were um yeah, down. crumbled a lot of bullet holes every bullet holes were kind of like the trees that you have here you know <laughs> <laughs> i feel comfort sometimes when i see bullet holes you know it's like it's so me <laughs> when you went back to beirut then were you like mom dad why have you brought me to this hellhole? This is not how things go in Lebanon. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I, I thought we were visiting. Ah, okay. You know, and then I was like, hey, we're staying here too long, you know? Like, when, when <laughs> what I, am I going back like, to? Exactly. Home, you know? like, and then you realize three years down there, it's like, no, this is no, where. This is it. You know, you have to absorb this now, yeah? Poof. Colorless, really like uh, a very uncomfortable place, you know? Like you can feel the tension, you can feel the. Um, but at the same time, it was a land of opportunity, you know, like because I wouldn't have been who I am now had we stayed in the rural area in Baltic, sure. you know. Uh, but at the same time, this contrast, you know, gives you gives you that elasticity as a person, you know. Hassan is brilliant at doing this, finding motivation and psychological stability in being changed, in moving back to a war-torn city, a city he didn't even know he was from. Did, did Beirut feel dangerous then? Uh, well, I was kind of like um, got locked up in an apartment where right. before I used to live. Okay, it was a building, but at the same time, all doors were open. Run out you know, and play. Friends, you know, neighbors, cousins, all of that stuff. Greenery everywhere. You can walk around into an apartment building. A lot of uh, political uh, insignia or mm-hmm. whatever, you know, you get uh, absorbed with these. <laughs> uh, but it was good for me in terms of... Um, really empowering my introspective sort of uh, feel, you know, because now my world kind of shrank. So you have to expand it somewhere else and you you, you expand it internally, you know? Ah, right. You start the world, the interior world. 100%. Just sit on the balcony and observe, you know, and, uh, you know, absorb the misery. (laughs) 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 Uh, Cue the Lebanese national anthem. Cue But Beirut is a, is a hardcore place, you know, especially at that time. Even Hassan's bus ride to school felt pretty brutal and ominous. To go to school, the, the bus would pick me up, you know. I would uh, go wait for the bus at like 6.30 in the morning where it's almost half dark. And I would wait for it at a spot where in front of me there's a carniceria or a butcher shop. Mm-hmm. In Lebanon, butcher shops are not like here where you just have the meat. No, back in the day, you would actually have the butchering happening oh. in the shop while waiting for the bus. <laughs> it, took me, it took me like 15 years to realize, oh shit, this is crazy. Oh shit, they <laughs> fucked me up. <laughs> wow, dude. And then that within an hour becomes meat for everyone yeah, to yeah. eat. Actually, it's insane that I still eat meat, you know? <laughs> oh, wow. So you're, okay. And then you get One on bus. One times yeah. eight and then is eight. <laughs> Two times eight is 16. So we're laughing. But we found this time and time again in talking with people from countries torn apart by recent conflict. And Hassan is a master at finding the humor in all of it. He is. And we wondered if his upbringing had anything to do with this sly, sharp sense of humor. Uh, My parents sent me to a secular school. So I thought, you know, uh, we're beyond this shit, you know, like, hey, everyone loves everyone now, you know. And then I go to university and then I get like another shock in my life. It's like, oh, no, you know, the Civil War didn't end, you know, it just (laughs) just living here. It's different now, different tribes. uh, You're Shia, he's Sunni, you know, blah, blah, blah. In in my high school, I wouldn't know what is who, you know. How to read the different signs. Uh The people, at least. But I would know areas. Everyone knows areas. Right. You Your survivability that. depends on it, you know, because at any moment you can have some sort of uh, spark, realistic or theoretical. Remember, you're being brought up by people who went through 20 years of civil war, you know, yeah. and that's who they are now, you know, knowing what could happen because of the things they've seen, you know. So most of the fear that you carry is theoretical fear, you mm. know, it's not real fear. Occasionally it actually materializes, you know, but but not as much as you had to carry with you, right. you know. So from area to area, or even street to street, in Beirut, in the course of your walk, could switch from Christian to Muslim, or even from Shia to Sunni, the two main branches of the Muslim religion. Not a long time ago, a couple of years back, I had one of these moments, yeah, where I was like, oh shit, you know, I'm in the wrong time, in the wrong moment, you know? I was going from my home to somewhere, and then I passed with an area which had kind of like um, 
fundamental Sunni, mm. uh, and yeah, and they were angry about something. And I happened to be the first car when they blocked the road and started burning shit, you know. Ooh. And I, I tell you, you're you know, driving. I, yeah, I, I shit my pants. A really turtle. felt just terrible. The, you know, just something, something, you know, something <laughs> just out, you know. Just a little, little <laughs> So you knew, you knew this was this situation's could, yeah, bad. Yeah, because you don't, you can't know the limits of what could happen right, right. now. You know? Sometimes it's just nothing. Sometimes it, you know, uh, there's casualties. Escalates. You don't want to be a casualty. That's the idea because no one gives a fuck about you. You know, like it's, uh, <laughs> it's not that anyone's going to light candles for you or anything, you know, you're just lost, you exactly. know, game over. And <laughs> God, God mode done. <laughs> yeah, God mode, yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, one punch done, you know, you're out. Boom. You just drove. Yeah, I just Boom. drove. Yeah. Yeah. And then he went to a bar to have a drink. No, that was my destination. <laughs> You, you don't understand. That's that's not that's not strange in any measure in Lebanon. You know, it's like wow. oh shit, I'm gonna die, but I'm gonna be late. You know, <laughs> to go to Cayenne. You know, oh which my is God, that's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that probably describes it perfectly. A little bit what you're talking about the 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 complete kind of two sides that you 100%. have to carry in your brain. Absolutely. I once went out of a club on MDMA. Oh mm -hmm. shit! Okay, sorry. Right. We'll um, change your <clears throat> we'll change your voice if we. Like. <laughs> you know, it's like, woo, woo. and there were people shooting. You know, it's like, you know, it's really hard. <laughs> so can you imagine how insane this is? You know, you're having fun and you think the bullets are cute. You know. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, that's, you know, and then you go into the car and drunk and you drive and you go home. Yeah, that's, that's, that's your standard. Oh, I just yeah. wanted to hug those bullets, man. <laughs> Such pretty, pretty little they bullets. They sounded so nice. So crisp. So crisp. So crisp. <laughs> Do you hear that? <laughs> 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 well, there's that humor in tough situations again. This feels completely like something that Hassan has to think about constantly and that he has thought about a lot. So some of the heavy stuff out of the way, let's talk about something lighter, geography. I think it's important for people to understand what are what countries border Lebanon? Imagine you pull, you know, you get like a draw and you pull the shittiest cards you can <laughs> We have two countries, you know, and then you pull the first one, it's like, oh, oh fuck, fuck, not this Syria. Yeah, yeah. Shit, okay, the second one is gonna be good. <laughs> and then it's like, Israel. <laughs> Playing a hand of poker and people have they forgot to take the jokers and the explainer card out of the pack and you're like ah oh, fuck. And then yeah, you have Cyprus like a splash away. Yeah, it's splash crazy. Away, yeah, oh, the level of tension. Yeah, you yeah, put those three amazing. countries together. Already, yeah, you know, you know that yeah. the only significance of Cyprus to Lebanese people is it's the place where they go to have a civil marriage. <laughs> okay. To not okay. have a religious marriage because you're not allowed to marry cross religion in Lebanon officially. Ah. But if you marry outside, no problem. We approve it to you, but... You just can't do it can't here. Can't do it here. We don't want to watch you do it. And you got to swim back. You have to swim back. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. The, the religious industrial <laughs> complex. Wow. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. Yeah, I, like, that's, that's exactly what it is. The religious industrial complex. 100%. 100%. This might, this might be the one. This is my favorite this episode. Is, this so is my favorite. I think we're, we are definitely I like, mean, we're in so much trouble already. I haven't looked at my paper once. I know, but we got like, uh, we, we gotta, we gotta do, do we, one. We gotta right? do this. We gotta do this quick. Right. Um, so what's your name? Let's do it. <laughs> so as you might've realized, this isn't your regular misinformation episode. We tried our best to wrangle Hassan into a speed round. But with Lebanon as the focus, it was more of a speed rabbit hole. So let's go down it. The big five Lebanese stereotypes as brought to you by the internet. Number one, the Lebanese are closed-minded people. Yes and no, I would say this is, again, we go to this dichotomy that it's, it's unescapable, you know, right. like, um, you, uh, I go to my barbershop. Barbershops, you know, masculine, all this sports, masculine culture. Yeah. If you ask them literally, okay, what do you think of gay people? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Fuck gay people. And then five minutes later, a clear, clearly very gay, flamboyant, 
gay guy called Fufi <laughs> you know, comes into the shop and everyone's like, hey Fufi, you know, how you been? And, I love and Fufi. And they start doing that. And then you ask them again, what do you think of gay people? Oh, fuck gay people, you know? And then you're like, what do you think about Fufi? Fufi's Fufi, fucking yeah, awesome. Fufi's an amazing guy, you know? What's that thing where it's like, you have to, there's one thing, it's like what you do front facing for society. And then the other thing is- what, It is the game. This is the game. the game. You know, right? always maintain the narrative which has nothing to do with the reality. It's actually the exact opposite of the reality, you know? Ah, nothing is simple ever. To illustrate this a little more, Hassan tells us a story about inclusion and exclusion at the same time, which blows our minds. I can't be president of my country. Wait, 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 wait. wait. What, what yeah, are yeah, you okay, saying okay. to me now? Remember when I told you I'm going to tell you things that's going to blow me? Yeah, no, my mind yeah. is, le- I'm, my brain is leaking. There are a lot of, of political ears. systems in the world, yeah? Autocratic, you know, tyrannical, democratic, uh, whatever. Lebanon has a unique uh, a political system. Okay, so president has to be Christian Maronite, not any Christian. Who decided that? Uh, How okay. did that happen? So after the civil, well, the, the country became a country on yeah. a verbal agreement. Okay. 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 Yeah. Muslims would stop uh, wanting to unify with other uh, right. Arab countries. Christians would stop nagging to France and whoever they're nagging to to okay. come and save them, you know? Oh, and then, okay, so let's have a country together. Fantastic. Excellent. You know? <laughs> but that was, and, and then let's divide things 50 50, but without much definition, you know? Okay. Things went well for a while. Things went really bad for the civil war. Yeah. And then there was an agreement to end the civil war where they actually divided all of these. We're going to make this you know? clear. President, Christian Maronite. Prime Minister, Muslim Sunni. Head of Parliament, uh, Muslim Shia. Get the f- the, wow. The this parliament is incredible. Divided by, you know, 20 Shia, but whatever, you know. This is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so it's been working like this since, the, since 1990. Yeah. So thir- it's 30 years now. And now we have other problems. <laughs> <laughs> You know, just you replace one problem with another, but it never, it never is like, ah, you know what? Today is a good day in Lebanon. Insane. Balance in a totally unbalanced way. So at this point, let me just remind you that we're in a speed round. We finally got to number two on the list of the top five stereotypes. Lebanon is always at war. Absolutely. Absolutely. That is not no. misinformation. Speed no. round. Well, <laughs> at least one war. That's the, that's the, that's the key. The qualification you have to add, you know. At any given time, we're at least in one war. Wow. But, you know, whether it's ISIS from the east or right. Israel from the south right. or the theoretical imperialism from everywhere else, mm. you know, or the Iranians, if you are one side or the Americans or the Saudis, everyone has their own enemies and their own friends, you know, yeah. at any given time. Number three was a bit of a surprise to us, and it will be to you too if you have any Lebanese friends or family. But misinformation is all about wiping these crazy myths off the face of the earth. We're sorry. Lebanese women are quiet and submissive. What? Lebanese <laughs> men are serious and angry. No, no, I think it even changed. Re- what? No, well. Oh, <laughs> wrong. All wrong. Uh, a Lebanese woman can crush 10 Lebanese men anytime. You know? <laughs> I agree. <laughs> At least the one I know. <sighs> for number four, we went for something a little more festive. Why does the Lebanese flag have the Christmas tree on it? <laughs> <laughs> you know, like when, when I was younger, I used to be fond of it, you know, and then the, the, the older I got, I, the older, the more I realized how weird it is. To I mean, I'm going to say it's top 10 flags. <laughs> Excellent flag. Excellent flag. It's a cedar tree. Yes. Uh, because our white mountains have a lot of cedar trees. Cedar mm. trees, some of them are 5,000 years old, Get you know, out. that you can still visit today. So yeah, it's a good symbol. And if you go around a cedar tree, uh, there's something majestic about it. Maybe it's just like romanticizing it because I'm from there. But it's not just any tree. I can tell you have, it's not a pride exactly, but it's this kind of fascination with your own country, whatever. But when we're talking about the cedar trees, the first time where I've noticed a little bit of that, like little glint in the eye. Yeah, because cedar tree doesn't, it's not involved in politics. It's not involved in anything. It's it's a neutral element, you know, and it's very few that you find these neutral elements that you can still connect with an identity without tarnishing it with layers and layers of bullshit, you know? Right. That's beautiful. I love that. 
Andres did, however, bring with him a fascination for another religion. I mean, yes. Uh, talk about a unique religious and ethnic group whose tradition dates back to the 11th century and incorporates elements of Islam, Hinduism, and even classical Greek philosophy. Who am I talking about? I'm talking about the Druze. But finding out what the Druze are isn't so simple either. My knowledge of the Druze comes from Druze friends that I've had. I've always like curious, you know, I would ask my friend, you know, when you ask your parents when as a child, how do, how are babies made? Yeah. And then you realize that they never, and now you're eating a cookie, yeah. you know, and, and like, yeah, say, like, hey, I never got an answer. <laughs> it's the same thing with Druze, you know, every time you ask them and they're like, oh yeah, this is nice wine, you know, it's like, <laughs> and then the next day it's like, hey, she didn't answer me, what the fuck are Druze, you know? Until one time I sat with a guy who was like, hey, I'm going to tell you what the fuck's going on. I'm going to let you yeah, in yeah. basically on the secret, right? Druze are a minority that came out kind of out of Islam, but not really. One of their traits, though, because they're a minority and they uh, kind of like Jews where you can't really come in. You can't become a Druze. You have no, to, you oh, have to shit. work. Oh, shit. just worked out that you weren't saying Jews. No, no, Druze. Druze. D-R-U-Z-E. I'm joke. I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> As a minority, one of their survival skills was to adopt whatever sort of um, uh, cultural activities the people around them do. Uh, so if they are surrounded by Muslims, they would start adopting we'll just Muslim do some, ways. We'll you know? do some Muslim like stuff. Like the burial, the, uh, burial, they just follow the fucking Muslim uh, sort of uh, method right. of burial. You know? Cultural community. If they are you know, f- uh, surrounded by Christians, they start adopting things. So that's why in Lebanon, they're politically counted under Muslims. But I mean, it doesn't even make any sense because right. like none of the commandments are even aligned. You know, it's just like a <laughs> sneaky way where you just stand next to someone and with time, they start thinking that you, like, you, you're his friend, no? It's like, yeah, I'm totally his friend, totally, you know? Totally Muslim. <laughs> Lebanese zealots. Totally Muslim. <laughs> they were the rulers of old Lebanon. At some point, the Christians uh, revolted Took against over. the Druze. The Druze were connected to the Ottomans. The Ottomans had all the power in that time, you know? What I realized today is that the biggest population of Druze is in Lebanon. I think so. Yeah, absolutely. There's a whole, the Mount Lebanon. Because Lebanon was um, smaller at some point. It was the imperialists who decided to make it a little bit larger. Right. And we took chunks of Syria. But Mount Lebanon was mainly Druze and Maronites, you know, yeah. with some Sunnis in Beirut, you know. And Beirut was even like a municipality on its own. It wasn't even part of that right. uh, uh, thing. So they were like the royals of uh, west uh, eastern side of the Mediterranean, you know. And they, they were princes and kings, you know, mm. even in their names, you know. Even some people now have it on their identity cards. Prince blah 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 whoever really yeah absolutely i had a friend at university who had the title of princess you know i was like princess <laughs> <laughs> it's like that uh, monty python king king of the who you know like, <laughs> king of the britons you know king who are the, the britons? britons well we are all britons <laughs> wow. so what about the drugs from clockwork orange i'm not gonna fall for this shit again i'm so lost they're the weirdest religion i've ever heard of so Drew's sidebar complete. Let's try another speed round. Weird Lebanese customs. Here we go. Three kisses greeting for every single person in the room, no matter how many people there are. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the, the typical one is the three kisses, you know? Yeah. There's an uncle with a mustache, your aunt with a mustache, doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, the three kisses, you know. Like, You're at a wedding, there's yeah, like 250 people you there. To, you... I think you'll do like a thousand kisses during this night. Jesus Christmas. If you're offered food, you have to take it, no matter what. Absolutely. You, <laughs> they would never yield. You always have to eat more than you can stand. Right. You know? It's like they, they know where your limit is, and their job is to make you cross that limit. <laughs> and only when you do that, then they've done a good job. Yeah, this absolutely. is a sign of fun, people. <laughs> Generous, like I'm, 100%, I'm serious. Like 100%. Generosity comes with that thing where you're like, you want another piece of pie? And then you go, I can't. And you're like... <laughs> I'm just going to work on you for 15 minutes. No, absolutely. Like over serving is part of what Lebanese hospitality is. You yeah. have to over serve. If you serve exactly on the limit, Oof. it's uh, like, hey, what's going on there? The you know, day. and tissues. You always have tissues around your guests. You know, tissues? Like, tissues? Yeah, they have to be at a hand's length, you know, <laughs> whatever. You know, if they want to like do this, you know, whatever they're eating. Just it's a, We're obsessed with Kleenex, you know, you have to have Kleenex <laughs> on your left, Kleenex on your right, you know. 
Um, what is the value of the cup? It's in bold. The value of the cup. If you drop a cup on the floor, uh-huh. you drop a cup on the floor. It doesn't break. You have to pick it up and then break and it. And break it. Oh. Oh. I, I've I've never had it, but usually, you know, like we make sure that things are broken. <laughs> 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 With pottery. (laughs) One of the things, for example, that's pretty common in Lebanon and some other Arabic cultures is I have something nice on me. Yeah, you meet me and you're like, hey, nice uh, watch. The impulse should be, hey, you can have it. You know, and you're gonna be so upset with me, but every time you come into this place, I'm like, god damn, that's a fucking nice jacket. (laughs) You do realize it's winter, right? So cruelest thing to do. I have like a bunch of like you know, three quarter length jackets there. And I'm like, I wish they fit me like <laughs> It's not just the jacket, my friend. It's also <laughs> what is flipping the shoe? Yeah, there are a lot of these very crazy things. Like even uh, some of them are kind of like created on the spot by your aunt. Right. You know, never triple kiss a woman with a mustache. I was going to say, the one with the mustache? Or is it? The shoe is very clear. It's like, hey, if the sole of the, the bottom of the shoe is facing God, that's an insult, ah. you know? And this gets indoctrinated in you that even till today, I'm 37 year old, secular, philosophical, advanced, whatever. Living in Barcelona. Psychedelic, whatever, you know? If there's a shoe that is turned, I'm not feeling peace. You know, like, you know, like I'm not. So I turn it just for psychological peace, not because mm-hmm. of anything else, but it's almost like a Pavlov thing now, right. you know? You have to turn it, you know? Even in the worst arguments, people will still use terms of endearment, like Habibi. Absolutely. Which means my love. Like, <laughs> no, absolutely. So you can use Habibi in an insulting you can, way. You can use it in a, gre- in a threatening way. Can you do it to me? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Habibi. <laughs> You know? Yeah, my love. Anything from a taxi driver to your uncle, anyone is Habibi, you know? Like, my love, you know? Like, my love, take me there. You know, my love, you better watch out. (laughs) You're 40 years old and your parents still control your life. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Even in Islam, there is something, there's a phrase where that God is satisfied by you is as much as your parents are satisfied by you, you know? Oh, and you hear that Jesus. one time. And that and will mess you like... up for life. <laughs> that just made me really, you know, that just made me really heavy. Like my yeah, feet. Yeah. Neil just, just sat back in his chair like he had just eaten, eaten a bad pizza. <laughs> yeah. All right, hang tight. We'll be right back after this quick break with food, Lebanese secrets, Beirut as a party town, and much, much more. Oh, and also a quick reminder before we go to a break, head over to the App Store and download the Circa app on iOS. Every episode of Misinformation and Passport are there, as well as tons of other travel shows and our beautiful guide series. There's extra features such as maps, favorites, photos, plus a concierge service to help you connect with real local people on the ground anywhere you want to travel. We'll see you after the break. Hi, everyone. Circa is recruiting new concierges. A Circa concierge is a friend to ask anywhere in the world. Real people, on the ground, never bots. If you want to be a concierge for your city, go to circatravel.com to sign up. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Welcome back to Misinformation, and as we like to do, we should get into some of the culinary delights of the place. So let's just go for it. The one thing Lebanon must be known for around the world, I think, is food. It's the only true myth. We have some of the best fucking food in the world. Yeah. You know, like, and the food that you get in restaurants, 
That's uh, one side of it. That's I would uh, say even 30-40% of it. And then there's you have the whole branch of home cooked food, you know, that you can't even prepare in the restaurant just because of the immense level of work it requires and time it right. requires. So just not feasible, you know. So is it one of those those things that because you have this mosaic of culture, that's where you got this magic food thing happening? So many cultures and right. interferences and all of that stuff because uh, some of our food we have in common with Greeks, Turks, yeah, exactly. Persians, Tur- you know, like, but the other thing is also the availability of fresh ingredients. We're a Mediterranean country, you know. It actually naturally comes out, you know, yeah, yeah. it's readily available. So the availability of fresh ingredients is part of why the cuisine is so, um, so good. First up, tabbouleh, a staple known the world over. A finely chopped salad of parsley, onions, tomatoes, mint, lemon, and soaked bulgur. Tabbouleh is almost like a ritual. Like, I remember my mother, my aunts, you have to cut things in a certain way. There's a lot of pride in it. Uh, there's critique happening. Every, everybody know. in the family's chopping? Each person handles like a certain One ingredient, element. you know, and, and there's critique. is like, hey, no, it's a little bit more coarse than it should be, you know? Like, I don't. But tabbouleh <laughs> always felt like some sort of, it's almost like a religious ritual more than oh, just wow. salad making. Next, fatouche. Another salad, and one close to Hassan's heart, made from toasted, fried pieces of bread, mixed greens, radishes, and tomatoes. Fatouche. Fatouche is my favorite. Really? Tabbouleh, even though tabbouleh is the thing, I know it's like, for me personally, okay, I enjoy the thing that's going on, but like, whatever. But fatouche. Why? Is my Tell favorite. me about fatouche. Because it has this um, crispy bread thing. <laughs> so funny. Anytime, anytime you get really serious about somebody, about their cultural food, it always ends in crispiness. Like, there's this thing where it's like, it's just fucking crispy. It's just crispy, dude. Like, it's just crunchy. Do you remember, like, the best fatouche you've ever had? My mother. It's <laughs> the way I said it, isn't it? <laughs> so, how about dessert, Lebanese style? Um, I mean, baklava is kind of like the right. typical... Ah, oh, there's knefe. Do you know what knefe is? I or don't. Kunafa? I do, but I only just found out. It's a piece of bread that's freshly made, thick bread. It's opened up. And then you have a layer of cheese, mm. m- melted cheese. And on top... A layer of sweet that is made out of, I think, pine-based sweets, wow. you know, and then like uh, sugar syrup on it, you know. Y- y- you almost see the face of God when you wow. taste it, you know, like <laughs> like you're directly connected with the Creator now, you know, like you bypass all the complications, just mainlining the cosmos. It is it is something undescribable in the right moment when you have it. It's like there's nothing else, you know. Wow, it's the unhealthiest thing ever, but um, delicious. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. <sighs> so then, after Fatouche, Hassan brings out the big guns. Do you know one typical breakfast in Lebanon, one mm. typical in certain places? You get some uh, raw liver and raw fat. Okay. And you cut them into small cubes. You put them in a plate. You put some fresh mint next to them, a couple of spices, and you have uh, arak. It's like raki from Turkey. It's this white drink that when you mix it with water, it's transparent. When you mix it with water, it becomes white. And that's your breakfast, basically. Raw meat and raki at 5.30 in the morning. Oh, God. So, before the civil war in Lebanon, Beirut was already known as a party city. The Paris of the Middle East, as it was known, was filled with clubs, cinemas, and dance halls. After 1990 and the end of the war, the people seemingly decided that life was too short, too fragile not to chase hedonism once more. And soon, Lebanon fully regained its reputation. What what kind of a night would you have like in Beirut? You go out clubbing until like Beirut's five a.m. It's a hardcore what? party night. Yeah? yeah, it's a party city. Yeah, you have bars as as many bars as as you want, and you have clubs. Clubs range from commercial, you know, mm-hmm. look fancy, dance fancy, high heels, all of that stuff. He's doing the the universal. <laughs> He's doing dance the correct <laughs> tight tight shirt dancing. Let's absolutely, call it. absolutely, and you have like niche clubs <laughs> where, depending on your entourage and your culture, you have your own club, whether it's an Arabic singer or right, blah, blah, blah. right, right. But then you have the hardcore clubs. Bo18 is one of the classic clubs in Lebanon. It's been on for 30, 40 years. Okay, and it's basically you get to uh, a parking lot, and there's nothing. And then you just park, there's a bouncer, 
and then you get there. <laughs> you know, it's parking lot. It's empty. So it's an it's, empty it's parking a bunker. Lot. Oh, okay. You go under the parking yeah. lot. It's not so big. Maybe it's like, uh, 40 meters 40 by meters. 10 meters, okay. whatever. So it's like a huge club. So it's bunker, hardcore, opens at 2, 3 a.m., goes okay. all the way there. And then at some point, around 4 or 5, you're sitting down, boom, boom, techno music, all that stuff. And suddenly the roof opens up. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. The roof opens up and it opens like up. Like a, a hydraulic, hydraulic roof? Yeah. Fuck out of <laughs> time. And the mirrors reflect the morning into uh, the thing. It's, what? It's, wow. it's, a, it's a thing, you know. And this club was opening during the Civil War. What? So imagine, you know. It's like, hey, me and you are sitting and during the Civil War. It's like, hey, what? What do you want to do? Let's open a club. <laughs> <laughs> but, but let's make it one where we yeah, can open the roof. Also a bunker, so because the bombing <laughs> exactly, and shit. Makes sense. <laughs> Needs to be something we can cover. Jeez. Yeah, it's just, wow, you, can, dude. you can visit it today. It's, uh, it's still on. Yeah, and it's still running today. You can check them out on Instagram at bo18official. Then, still reeling from that a little bit, Hassan tells us about another club. There's a club called Casino. Okay. Okay, it's kind of like the poshy, you know, flashy, blingy, money, you yeah. know. VIP rooms. Yes. Too many diamonds. In this club. of champagne. Uh, there's uh, pink, whatever, pink panther champagne, whatever it's called. I have no mm-hmm. idea. It costs $3,000. When you order it, they put a spotlight on you, you know, oh, wow. and the music stops and it's like, hey, you know, Neil, just, you know, <laughs> like whatever. And this like makes other people want to do it. Right. Yeah. In the corner of this place, there is an agent from the bank. What? Willing to give you a loan no. on the spot. Get out! <laughs> so that leads us tidily to another myth, or not, about the fair country of Lebanon. That those who are rich or connected can get away with anything. Everything in Lebanon is permitted if you have the money. It's the other way around, you know? The only time mm-hmm. you get held responsible is that if somehow you find yourself unconnected. The only people who are in jail are for the crime of not having connections, not the crime of whatever they've done. So it's not for getting you stuff, it's for getting you out of stuff. Absolutely. Even murder in Lebanon uh, is fixable. What? Negotiable. Uh, Absolutely. Really? Absolutely, you know. It's all about, hey, we do things, they drop their right... The judge looks around, you know, ba 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 ba. Everything is fine, you know. Everything is a yeah. negotiation. You steal a small thing, but you happen to be unconnected. You stay in jail for years, even waiting for your trial. It's all about who you know. So it's a so you circle of be... oppression within a circle of oppression within a circle of oppression. Right. You know, like you cannot afford to not be a social. Hundred percent. If you're not social, if you don't maintain these connections and relations and do the thing and receive it back, you're definitely losing value. So there's another way to lose value in Lebanon pretty quickly. And from what we hear, that way is to get behind the wheel of a car. So yeah, Lebanon is constantly up there on the list of some of the worst drivers in the world. The Lebanese fuck like they drive badly. (laughs) (laughs) I haven't had enough sample size in terms of how they fuck, but I definitely see how they drive, you know. Like, you can't imagine how many days I start in the, before I turn on my car and like, today I'm going to have a chill day. Yeah. <laughs> today I'm not going to, you know, like, put some classical music, I'm going to work. I'm, gonna I'm not going to let any of this bother yeah. me. First guy, you know, that's the thing. In Lebanon, they're always squeezing you slowly, you know? Little by little. <laughs> like, yeah, there's yeah. no respect to lanes, you know? Right. It's like, and it's not like they just, you know, suddenly, no. Little it's by like little. slowly and you always feel under pressure, you know? And Smushed. Like, eventually you're like, fuck your mother. <laughs> and, you know, like... <laughs> they keep going left and right, left and right, you know? So even though you can see it's traffic, you're not going to get anywhere. You're not going to get anywhere. But the idea is we have to push something. It's pushing, and it's also they don't like to have someone blocking their view. You're right. You know? Somebody's in so front even of me. If you're, even if it's like a, a traffic light, they go they just a little bit left. You know, just, just so try to get, squeak past you know, so they can have a, like a, a sense. A good view, you know, like uh, it's the same thing with lines. You know, yeah. they stand cascading. <laughs> like a, like a, like yeah, a diagonal. I, I'm not going to stand behind a man. You know, like I just stand, you know, next to him, so I can have a. And uh, the one behind me stands next to me. Uh, just next to me. I just have an image of like a bread line that's <laughs> no. cascading into into traffic. Into traffic completely. 
Oh, that's incredible. And that's what it's like to be fucking Hassan. <laughs> <laughs> you just want to get a good view. 100%. <sighs> so, hedonistic and impatient? Sure. What about corrupt? Many members of government have remained in power or in jail with no trial since the Lebanese Civil War, with a simple shuffling of positions every election cycle. And many people blame this don't-rock-the-boat system for the country's continued ingrained corruption and nepotism. Corruption happens on every level of society, and it's not strictly limited to high-level officials. So... Is corruption a way of life in this country? In Lebanon, the corruption is the system. Nepotism is the law of the land, you know? (laughs) uh, And then everything else is a charade, you know? Right. But one of the laws that we have to kind of respect is, again, if I put five Christians, I have to put five Muslims as well. Right. If I have to put a Christian guy in jail for corruption, I have to fucking find a Muslim guy who's corrupt as well. Otherwise, this is not going to fly, you know? That's why no one goes to jail because anytime you catch me, even if I have a ton of cocaine, you know, I was like, hey, this is how we're going to treat Muslims from now on? <laughs> <laughs> so that's it, you know? So like, it's like a delicate balance. 100%. Everyone plays it. it. It even has a name. They keep saying it, which is six and six recounted. I don't know what it right. means, but it has a phrase for it. Six, how do you, how do you say Six, it? three counted. Yeah. Uh, so right now in Lebanon, the country's political class, blamed for decades of corruption and mismanagement, has led to a banking meltdown of incredible proportions. Inflation, losses, chaos. The Lebanese banking crisis continues to bite hard. In February of 2023, Lebanon devalued its official exchange rate for the first time in 25 years, weakening it by 90%. From one day to another, Mm -hmm. they decided that all your dollars, all your foreign currency, now is held at the bank. You go there, it's like, hey, give me my money. They're like, "Mm, sorry. Why aren't you giving it to me? Is there a law? Nah. Go, <laughs> go complain. You know, like uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, go check at the police station. They have a radar for it. Yeah. <laughs> and then we started, you know, having inflation. What does inflation mean? It yeah. means that the rate lira to dollar is changing. Yes. Fantastic. This applies to everything except the bank. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. If you want your money, you're gonna get it at the old rate. Why? Right. Because the government hasn't acknowledged. Now you lose like something like ninety three percent of your <sighs> savings. Um, yeah, there, there was a wave of people going into banks and taking hostages just to take their money out. <laughs> you know, like in the beginning, it was slow until one woman did it, and then all and then the everybody was like, Jesus, oh, oh, "Oh shit!" Maybe we, <laughs> female maybe we Lebanese <laughs> dog day afternoon, and everybody yeah. went, "Holy oh, shit!" Oh shit, we got female Dustin Hoffman. <laughs> It's insane, yeah. But that woman had to do it because her sister had cancer and she needed... Wait, that is, that is female no Lebanese exactly. doctor yeah, afternoon. Yeah, that's exactly what absolutely. that is. That's it's Pacino. Sorry. It's not Hoffman. Yeah, yeah you're yeah. totally right. I'm, I'm glad that this is more upsetting to you than what's actually going on in Lebanon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, imagine. Imagine you work <laughs> in whatever uh, yeah. outside of Lebanon for 30 years, you know, like saving your money and then... Mm-hmm. Boom. It's boom. gone. And is this the situation right now as we speak? Yeah, 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 right now. For a lot of the world, the most recent news of Lebanon as a country was the explosion in August of 2020, when nearly 3,000 tons of stored ammonium nitrate exploded in the central port. The blast was felt in Turkey, Syria, Palestine, Jordan, and Israel, and was heard in Cyprus, which is more than 150 miles away. It is considered one of the most powerful non-nuclear explosions in recorded history. Protests erupted across Lebanon against the government for their failure to prevent the disaster. And on the 10th of August, 2020, Prime Minister Hassan Diab and the entire Lebanese cabinet resigned, adding to the country's continuing instability. I was there. I was in Beirut. When Were you in yeah, Beirut yeah, when yeah, the blast yeah, happened? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. 
five kilometers away from the blast. I was sitting with my sister, her, her son, my mother. And, you know, Lebanese people are pretty versed with like bombings, bombs, explosions, all of that stuff, you know, so we don't really panic easily. But we were sitting and then suddenly we felt a wave. And then five seconds later, a sort of silence and then boom, and then Oof. the pressure thing. Like and a then, pl pressure blast. Yeah, yeah, with glass flying Oof. and everything. But the strange really thing is that we, uh, at least I couldn't really match it with anything from my experience yeah, before, yeah. you know? It was why, out of, completely out. Why would the ground, why would an earthquake happen before an explosion? Right. Like it doesn't yeah, even yeah. make sense. Everyone who experienced this uh, explosion thought that it happened in their building or yeah. whatever they yeah, are, yeah, you know? Yeah. Even people who are like in the mountains or whatever, it was something um, beyond belief, you know? Right. It, the strange thing is that even like the politicians themselves could have been there. Right. Yeah. And their sons could have been there. So you could see that it's not really organized, you know, like, or it's not intentional or organized. It's just too much chaos, even for the people who are, right. there's no one driving the bus. That's right. the, what yeah, you realize, yeah. you know, like. And it's horrible. It's, uh, and it's unparalleled, I think, even with all the horrors that we saw, whether with, the, with, with, the, with wars with Israel in 2006 and 1996, you know, as a child, as an adult, you know, I've seen, I've, I've seen missiles land 200 meters away from me. Right. I've run with my family, but somehow it's still manageable compared to something your brain can't, like the fury that you feel is on a soul level, not on even, a, you yeah. know, your brain tells you something is happening to the ground and around you that you cannot calculate. Can you imagine having a world which you grew up in like this? Hassan has an incredibly eloquent way of talking about the most difficult situations. He has to. That's what comes from living in a place which feels like a pressure cooker. But directly after, he brought up happiness. It's true, but then you read these statistics about the happiest people and the most yeah. miserable people, and we're like top five from the bottom. Really? And then the Finnish and the Scandinavian people are like yeah. the happiest One, people. Yeah. But then I meet then, you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but then it's, you know, like, you. yeah, again, it's it's like a paradox. It you is. Know? It's, an, uh, it's it is. hard to answer the paradox. I think um, that's the, it. It's the paper versus the person. I mean, I know like a bunch of Finnish people, but I'd rather go play pool with you. Absolutely, absolutely. If you want to play, you should play with Lebanese people for sure. But it is like, it's. I think you hit it on the nail with the paradox and you've somehow managed to embody this. It's pretty impressive. It is impressive. It's wild. It's a way of living that feels blasé or so incredibly contradictory that we couldn't imagine it as a way of life. And then Hassan tells us a story. Uh, August 7th, 2006. Yeah. 25th, 28th day of the war with Israel. All my friends in Beirut, my family is in the mountains, you know? I would go to Beirut depending on how much fuel I have. The day before I told them, hey, I'm coming tomorrow, it's my birthday. War or not, you know, we're gonna dress nice, you know, and we're gonna celebrate. We're gonna have some drinks, whatever. I'm gonna come down in the morning because who knows, you know, this war could go for 10 years, you know, and we have nice clothes, we wanna wear them. Go down, I remember the Jack Daniels bottle, you know, we're drinking, <laughs> really wasted because of the heat as well. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Right. And then when they start bombing in the afternoon, I would hear the bombing. And then you start asking people, where did they bomb? And they tell me like on a spot where I have to pass. And my decision was, okay, I'll go there. If it is that street, I come back. <laughs> if it's not, I continue. You know? like, it's very simple logic, you know? And then I go there and then I realize it's just off, you know? So the right. road just clear. a little bit off. And then I continue to the mountain. Incredible. And I got there. And my first uh, impulse when I get there, go to a diner, yeah. get a burger <laughs> and fries, you know, because it's my birthday, you know, I want to, you know, um, congratulate myself for my birthday and for fucking surviving that, you know. <laughs> and I remember, and I had curly fries. This is, <laughs> this is amazing. This is incredible. A drunk, you know, out of trauma and eating curly fries. Would you like curly, would you like curly fries? No, no, no. Actually, no, I'll fuck it. <laughs> You know, I get the curly you know, large ones. curly fries. As big as you can make them. So for the record, that's avoiding being bombed and stopping for curly fries in the mountains outside of Beirut because it's your birthday. 
How how are you now like walking around being Lebanese in the world? Uh, it was never really an issue for me, you know. Like um, in all sincerity, I've never heard a joke that offended me. I always knew, made I always me feel you uncomfortable. Gonna, I always knew you were gonna say that though. That's because because I didn't like it by but anything. Why would I? <laughs> Honestly, why would I? You know, like the only time I would be if I genuinely derive value from your opinion right you know like oh so you don't value yeah my that's opinion. what he's no, literally but, what he's saying but, <laughs> but i don't i do but like in certain in certain circumstances like if we're talking movies if we're talking sure. production if we're talking sure, writing sure. absolutely if we're talking history and politics who the fuck are you <laughs> <laughs> that's beautiful no that's exactly beautiful. true that's beautiful that is an old ass culture right there Just scratching the surface of somewhere like Lebanon feels like a Herculean task. Every single scrape uncovers layers and layers and layers. It's a mammoth undertaking. It's dealing with fear. Every country that has to deal with these really difficult things, it's obviously, it's, uh, it's horrible when you're being bombed or it's horrible when there's this gigantic blast that shakes the whole city. But at the same time, it's true. It's like, there's a, there's a strength, like an inner core that I can feel just sitting across from you that I don't know. You can't replicate that. I know it sounds like a cliche, but fear mm. of something happening is worse than the thing happening to you. No matter what it is, imagine your biggest fear, you know, I honestly think, that the fear of that thing is worse than the reality. Not because, you know, I'm strong or you're strong. It's just a human yeah, thing, it's the human you know? Nature, the moment yeah. you are in the moment of actually dealing with this shit, you are a totally different creature, you know? So this is what, this is the thing that I feel most different about myself and people around me in modern Western civilization, uh, that they are detached from... Uh, the reality, right. this could happen any moment, right. you know? Right. Okay, yeah, so then the, I think the, well, were you, were you going to ask something? Yeah, I was, uh, um, was going to ask the, um, okay. Uh, what's your name? <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the fearless Hassan Shaban. We are planning a trip to Lebanon, by the way, and we really want to thank Hassan for his time, his wisdom, and his patience in talking to us. But before he left, Hassan left us with his five favorite places in the country. So, here we go. Number one, the Teleferic of Harissa. One of Lebanon's oldest tourist attractions, this slightly scary vintage cable car takes you from the coast of Malmetin all the way to the top of the mountain with breathtaking views of the Bay of Jonay. Two, of course, the ruins of Baalbek. It's home to the Baalbek Temple Complex, which includes two of the largest Roman ruins, the Temple of Bacchus and the Temple of Jupiter. It was inscribed in 1984 as a UNESCO World Heritage Site as the finest example of Roman architecture. Number three, Bachari Village and the Cedars of the North. Head here for hardcore Lebanese Christian origin stories and magnificent mountain terrain and cedar trees. The name of the village is also associated with the great writer Gibran Khalil Gibran whose works are exhibited in a museum in the heart of the village. Beyond religious and cultural tourism, it's also a popular place for skiers with incredible food. Number four, Beka Wineries in Spring. Good wine, amazing food. Almost 90% of Lebanon's wine is made here, as is a respectable proportion of its Arak, the anise-flavored spirit that remains the nation's favorite alcoholic drink and which pairs very well with raw liver at 5.30 in the morning. Number five, BO18. A nightclub in Beirut at which the ceiling opens up and uses mirrors to show you the sunrise just as your fuel tank is about to completely run out. We couldn't resist putting this one in here. What a total trip. <sighs> well, that was an incredible ride. Stay tuned for episodes from Mexico and a very, very special show from the Ukraine. 
We'll see you soon with more cultural myth busting on Misinfo Nation. Thanks for listening. And remember, if you think it's a stupid question, it probably isn't. This episode of Misinformation was written, produced, and edited by Neil Ennis and Andres Bartos. Huge thanks again to the outstanding, well-dressed, and insightful Hassan Shaban for helping us make this show. You can see his work at collapse.com. That's K-O-L-A-P-S.com. The Circa app is available now at the App Store, a beautifully designed one-stop shop for travel audio, which gives you access to extra information, photos, and maps for all the places mentioned in this episode. Plus all of our Circa original series and full guides to cities like London, Barcelona, LA, Paris, Rome, and much more. Our theme music is by River Deep Mountain Dew. The show is mixed and mastered by Julian Kuzneski. Stacey Book, Dominic Ferrari, and Avi Glijanski are the crispy, crispy bread you never knew you needed and then cannot live without. They also executive produce the show, which is hosted by me and a man who mistakes Pacino for Hoffman but never mixes Shaban and Rabadan, Andres Bartos. We'll see you in the next place. <laughs>